You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off of your next order. We are part of the LOCKEDON Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get them. And you can follow us on Twitter at Hornets. I'm on Twitter at Walker Mail. Nada is on Twitter at Nada Describe. I have a decent amount of stuff to get to this week. I think we're going to be doing our player evaluations. The Locked On Podcast Network mock draft was just released after we had the order of the 2020 NBA draft. We were picking third, of course, just like in real life. Crazy to still think that is going on in real life, I know. But Mm -hmm. we did pick third, and we will reveal our pick. I guess it's on Twitter if you want to talk about it. So we did go with Killian Hayes. Um, and we're going to kind of go into our decision why we made that pick maybe tomorrow as far as what we like about Killian, who was there, why we decided to go throughout that process. So you can expect that to go tomorrow. But Nada, we have some news to get to regarding the Charlotte Hornets um, that was released today. And even on Friday, we had some news regarding Michael Jordan, the owner, being the liaison between the players and the owners. We'll get to that later on in the show where Nada is going to try to find the line of not talking about what he said he wouldn't talk about anymore, as well as talking about something that may be a different angle. And so it'll be interesting to see the conflict and what Nada decides to address and what he does not decide to address. Uh, let's get to the jerseys first, Nada. Hornets were supposed to unveil the new uniforms last week. Yes, light, for obvious reasons they didn't. In light of the attempted murder of Jacob Blake and the NBA's response to that when Milwaukee decided to sit out their game five and and the other NBA teams and even other sports followed that the Hornets decided that this was not an appropriate time because of the times that we were in to unveil the uniforms. They waited until today and they had their zoom meeting unveiling with a bunch of local media at 1030. We are recording this at 1235 right now is what it is. We hopped on immediately after they were officially unveiled. I got to see them at 1030. And so I said, Hey, Let's just go ahead and record this. Nada and I decided at 1230 so we can have our true reactions. The next words you hear from Nada will be the true reaction just 10 minutes after having seen the picture and the uniforms. Nada, what do you think of the new unis that the Hornets have unveiled for what we're going to see this season? Meh. Like, literally. <laughs> of, course, meh. of course. That's such meh. a bad take. Of course. Like, like, here's the thing. I understand that sports is about nostalgia and yeah, I knew loving we're going. the loving of the nostalgia, but can't can we just like ditch that? Like, I guess that's where I'm at is that I just am not like, I don't need, I don't need any more nostalgia. I really, really, really do not need any more nostalgia. And it feels like they're sh- like force feeding the nostalgia down my throat because I don't have anything else. Well, I don't think that's true at all. I think that they do have something new. I think these jerseys are a little bit more on the modern side, but they do bring back some of that nostalgia feel that honestly, everybody else seems to at least love what they are reminded of when they think of some of the reasons they fell in love with the Hornets, because those jerseys are iconic. I mean, I remember when Doug was, I mean, I think he was co-hosting a couple of months ago when we had this conversation, maybe three months ago when ESPN came out with the best jerseys of all time. 
and the Hornets were like seventh on that list. And they were behind some bogus calls like the classic Celtics green, which is you talk about meh. I mean, it's one damn color. But the Boston Celtics are a historic franchise, so they get the top spot or close to it. Then you had the Lakers jerseys that are also purple and gold. And so here are the Hornets where they would be top five if we just were basing this on the jersey alone to the point where even national fans of the NBA, like it was the Hornets who were the second team, the starter jacket, the purple and teal, the weird colors. I'm with all of it. I like bringing back some of the only things that we can kind of be proud of for a Hornets franchise. history. The Jersey is one of them. Well, I mean, what, tell me, tell me what are some of the significant things outside of what the Hornets have brought from a fashion standpoint, Larry Johnson, Alonzo morning. And you know what? The jerseys really helped that too. And so I'm here for the pinstripes. I love the look to be honest with you. I think it looks great. I think it's clean. I think it is something where you do have like a little bit of of what you had back in the day. It's not the tri-colored pinstripes that you have, but True. you are bringing something back. Like I think they did a good job of bringing in some new elements to it, not having the pinstripes go all the way down the pants. I, I Maybe the teal is a little light for me. Maybe that's one of the only things, like if you were to force me to say something bad. Now, I love these jerseys, though. As I know as you, you compare do. compare them to the other ones. I know, again, you love it. And the fact that I have to come on here and crap on it so hard is making me actually feel bad. I actually, de- I'm developing a conscious here, Walker. But the problem is, is just like, I just like, they're plain, they're plain. And I thought, and again, I understand why they didn't do this, but with the way that the Hornets have been going and people didn't like it, I thought the Hornets took a really interesting departure from nostalgia and people lamed out on it. And quite honestly, I understand why they don't. They didn't want to go in that route after people were consistently angry and thinking that the uniforms were part of the reason they didn't like the team. I get that. I just like, like I said, it's too much of a nostalgia play. At some point, you draw the line between loving nostalgia and pandering, and this is basically pandering right here. Well, the and, one thing, Nada, when you talk about having to appease to the fans, though, it's something where they absolutely listen to it. And you always discuss just even with a franchise like the Hornets who don't have a ton of wins in their history, who don't have Fair the conference enough. finals. When we talk about the stars, the best ones, you know, being Kimba, Alonzo, Larry, and then even going to the golden era, I think that bringing the fans happiness, bringing back the pinstripes. When you see the reaction on Twitter with them teasing the pinstripes and their graphics, everybody's getting really excited. Maybe it did not live up to some of the people's expectations. For the most part, my uh, opinion of the reactions of them, most of them have been positives. I've seen a few. You're always Mm going to get a few who don't like them. But I think most of the people do like what they see. I think they did a good job of bringing back some of the things that the fans do like and trying to figure out how can we modernize them, but also maybe pay tribute to what we all do kind of consider uh, the golden era, if you will, of, ba- of Hornets basketball, if there is such a thing? Yeah, I, I guess that's where, you know what, honestly, that's where I can understand it. If you're going to try and grab fans, you're going to grab fans from an era that was very fairly successful with them. It's not for me. It's not meant for the folks that came here after 2004. And you know what? That's fine. Just do not be surprised if there's a split over this. That's what that's all I'm going to say. 
So we'll see. I mean, I've only seen the remarks, you know, within the first five, 10 minutes or so as I was refreshing the Twitter timeline, but it does seem like most people are a fan. And then Rick Bennell has an article in the Charlotte Observer who kind of documented a lot of the information that Seth Bennett shared with us, who was awesome in all of the information. It's crazy when you talk about just all the info that these guys have to have um, when you're just talking about the jerseys and what you can wear in an NBA game, what goes into it. He was extremely informative. And that call that we had at 1030, the Zoom press conference, if you will, of the unveiling of these jerseys. But Seth Bennett did say that the uniform started three years ago with the help of really? Design, a company in Mississippi, which I thought was interesting. It goes, you know, it's three years in the process and it doesn't seem like it would take that much time. But here we are um, with the unveiling coming again after they started working on it in 2017. Uh, they will, there's no maximum as to how much we can see these jerseys, no maximum amount of games. And so they can wear these as much as they want. There is a minimum of how much they'll wear these jerseys, interestingly enough. And he did say eight to 10 games would be the minimum and how much we would see these, but we are going to see these quite a bit in my opinion, and they will be, uh, made available for purchase October 1st in any retail store. And that includes the Hornets team shop. So if you want to go get these jerseys, you want to sport the new look, then you can do so again. Again, on October 1st, that's when they are going to be available. Um, it'll be interesting to see exactly uh, what the response is going to be as we continue to move forward with these. But I'm a fan. I thought Seth Bennett did a good job of informing everyone and we'll continue to get some of that information as more people write about that. Um, but hopefully they can play better in these uniforms as well. And uh, we can see the Hornets have a successful season with with what they're donning. And uh, I'm just I'm just not surprised at all, Nada, because you are the hater of nostalgia. Like you always, you always are somebody that is is not going to reminisce on some of the good things that we had in our fashion. And the one thing I'll say is. Like, I kind of wish there was more purple. I'm always a fan of when purple is incorporated, but they are still going to go with the, the Charlotte uniforms. People hate the CHA, but mm-hmm. they are still going to have those jerseys in the rotation. And obviously those are predominantly purple. So I'm do, I am glad that at least you do have uh, one jersey that's predominantly purple that's still in the rotation. That is also true. But also what I just saw from Mike Salarte, friend of the podcast, uh, he said, while City Look is going to be Buzz City Black, allegedly? That's the jersey I'm most interested in seeing what they're going to do with that. Because if they're bringing back Buzz City Black and they're bringing back some of the teal with that, that's probably the jersey I'm most likely going to buy. Because the Buzz City jerseys are sick. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is where, and again, I guess this is my problem. This is where I don't vocalize enough. The Buzz City Black stuff, that was the most progressive stuff, and people lamed out on it. And I didn't understand that. Like the Buzz City versions of the jerseys were sick, and I'll fight anybody on that. <laughs> no, you're not going to fight me, man. I'm with you. I, I did think, as far as a new look goes, look, I'm here for the nostalgia. I like incorporating the old elements. I think it's cool. But if you're going to go with some of the newer stuff that they've come up with, the Buzz City jerseys, I'm a huge fan of that. I'm, I'm totally with you on how good those looked as well. Uh, something else that not only looks good, but tastes good, it's Built Bar. Built Bars are healthy and they are delicious. They're healthy um, for you so you can be the health conscious guy and then feel like you're even even eating a dessert uh, maybe after you work out. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in that delicious treat. And their flavor profile includes a peanut butter, coconut, almond. They have cherry barcia, a favorite of the podcast, and cookies and cream. The cool thing about all of this is that you get a free cooler 
with your purchase of Built Bar while supplies last. What you can do is you can go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off of your next order. Use promo code again Locked On for $10 off when you go to BuiltBar.com and order any of those delicious flavors while being healthy. You can also, after your workout, eat something healthy that tastes good for you too. We'll be back in a moment with more on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. But what he showed in Summer League, comma, a Euro step into a windmill during a game, end of comma, oh, could yeah. put him on the radar of a uh, radar, excuse <laughs> a radar. Me, of all NBA. Yeah, on the radar. On the radar of <laughs> all NBA fans as a nightly highlight producer. Yeah. You're Charlotte, you're Charlotte coming out there. Yeah, I'm from come from uh, Catawba County. Could put so, him on the radar. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I was worried about the interest of the first round playoff series kind of after what we saw from the seeding games, the injuries Mm -hmm. that took place, the matchups we were going to get, because I thought the first round of the playoffs was going to be really exciting for a long time. And then right at the end, right before they started, we get the Pacers having a couple of injuries where they're matched up against the Heat, who kind of owned them. We get Philadelphia without any Ben Simmons and the Boston Celtics look like they're, they're really hot. And it's going to be really tough to see, okay, I can't see Philadelphia, even with even the, the last few people that were able to hold on with some hope. I don't think anybody really had the 76ers beating Boston. We can go out West. Damian Lillard gets injured. There's no way Portland can go back. Yeah, we, we get the picture. I thought at the end of the seeding games, it was just not as nearly as enticing as I thought it was going to be in the first round. Not, I hope we don't get that in the second round because one, the Boston Celtics, they controlled that game against Toronto. And I think a lot of people are really excited for that one. I am excited for the Bucks and the Heat. I do think we are going to get some really entertaining series. We do have a couple of series on the West Coast that's not exactly decided yet. OKC and Houston is not decided yet, even if Houston controlled that game five to take a 3-2 series lead. And then we don't have a series decided between the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. And when we talk about exciting first round series, that one has delivered in a way that no other series matchup has where it has been the Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray show watching both of those young stars blossom right in front of all of us. It's been remarkable. And not only have they blossomed, but they've become the biggest flower in all of the nursery. I mean, how about Jamal Murray giving you 50 points? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in two separate Dude. games and Donovan Mitchell giving you over 40 and either one of those players have overshadowed the other player d- despite remarkable performances. The, the shooting percentages of Jamal Murray of over 60% when averaging like 46 points per game, the last three contests, uh, the way that he's doing it, he's doing it in a highly entertaining way. He's taking control of the basketball. He's not turning it over. We have a seven-game series now after it looked like Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz were just going to steamroll the Denver Nuggets after the first, really, four games of that series. It's pretty incredible to watch both of those young stars not uh, really grow up into what, I mean, looks like. Who knows what they can do in the future, but they're, they're playing at MVP level right now. The, the crazy part is, like, I think we have, again, I hate to be the hater on this one. We got to realize that neither of these teams are playing all that great defense. That being said, we are seeing some incredible, and I mean incredible, shot making right now. We are seeing some incredible shot making from Jamal Murray. We're seeing some incredible shot making from Donovan Mitchell. And low key, Donovan Mitchell's playmaking ability 
has gotten yeah. that much better. He set, set guys up for easy shots. And I'm just like, I'm not necessarily going to say I'm surprised, but it's a departure from the Donovan Mitchell that used to just get his shot, get his shot off. And no one else would worry again, worry about nobody else. So this is a fun, fun little series. And the crazy part is none of this matters because Kawhi is going to burn them down. in five. <laughs> None of it. None uh, of it. I saw Zach Lowe's annual article um, with the things, the, the, the 10 things that he likes and dislikes. And I think he had one entire bullet point dedicated to playoff Kawhi and all the, he had the headline playoff Kawhi. And I think the only sentence that he had was something like, Oh my God. And that was it. No analysis, yeah. nothing. It was just, Oh my God. Um, I think Kawhi Leonard's playoff averages have gone up every single postseason, and this postseason so far is no different. He really is an unbelievable basketball player in the regular season. And then he goes to where people are throwing out these takes, like if he wins a championship and a finals MVP, where does he belong in the pantheon of basketball players? Like, because you're talking about some crazy high territory. If he goes and dominates, wins a championship, gets the finals MVP with the third different team, it really is crazy, Nada. I, I love playoff Kawhi. I imagine a lot of other people do too. Yeah, you should. You should. You should love the cool efficiency. Everybody likes that strong, silent type, right? There's Kawhi. Kawhi just go, comes down. It's the mid-range shot that he's not supposed to be shooting, but he hits it at an efficiency efficiency point that's ridiculous that you let him take it anyway. And then he locks you down your best defender if he feels like it. Think about this. <laughs> this dude is basically like the, the mesh rug, but occasionally he turns into the Incredible Hulk. That's where we're at. That's where we're at with this right now. So you and I agree. The Clippers are, are going to roll through whoever they have to play, whether it be the Denver Nuggets or the Utah Jazz. And I think these are two teams that were the fun team in the playoffs that maybe could get to a second round and, and cause some interest once they did get to the second round. But nobody truly had them as championship contenders. And it's the same thing we got last year where Denver was a team that even a lot of people thought the Spurs would upset them in the playoffs. And they almost did. It took a seven game series for the Denver Nuggets to knock off San Antonio. I believe we've mentioned this point quite a bit. We just didn't believe that they had enough star power to continue to move on through the postseason. But Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray are showing you that next year, that might be the year to start to invest in that team as true championship contenders. Because the way they're playing right now, even, I mean, obviously nobody's going to expect Jamal Murray to shoot 60% and average 46 points a game next year. Well, we're not going to be no. talking about Wilt Chamberlain numbers, but if he gets to a 25 on somewhat level of efficient shooting where he is a, an all-star and a damn sure all-star, right? Mm -hmm. Where that's how he's playing now. Donovan Mitchell, the same number one star in Donovan and Jamal for each of those teams. Then you're talking about the secondary star in, in Rudy Gobert and Nicola. It's probably, it, it's an insult to say he's a secondary star because that's a legitimate all NBA performer. You know, that that's when we start to have the West go from already a crazy high level of play, not a to where like if we get those two teams as true championship contenders, then the West just becomes absolutely freaking ridiculous. Like it gets as yes. dumb as it possibly could be. If those guys play at just, you know, somewhere even in the same realm and how they're playing in the bubble where you're right. Like Donovan's playmaking has been great. There was one play where he kicks it out to the corner and I believe Nikias Duncan put this out on Twitter and 
he fakes it inside and then has a no look pass to the corner for a corner three. And it's like, yeah, Donovan doesn't do that last year. That's not something that's a part of his repertoire. And here he is, you know, actually playmaking at a crazy high level now where Jamal Murray is doing that too. He's averaging something like seven, eight assists. It's ridiculous. If we get the Denver Nuggets and Utah Jazz to join and think, hey, it's not crazy to have them beating the Clippers or the Lakers if LeBron isn't defeated by father time. And mm. then what about the Mavericks? Like it, the West becomes freaking stupid next year. Not if those guys go to MVP, at least all NBA type of players. Look again, here's the thing. And we talked about it, I believe Thursday, like at some point or I'm sorry, Wednesday at some point, these are the type of things that you, if you're the Charlotte Hornets, this is what you invest in. Right. This is how you invest in player development. This is how you scout new talent. Because again, if you do this right in a couple of years, you're going to have those guys that are going to be the Jamal Murray's of the world. Who knows what this pick could be? This number three pick is the beginning, the embryo stages of the rebuild into what this team could be and should be. And quite honestly, that's kind of exciting. But as far as the West goes, I am so glad the Hornets are not in the West. And if, and more importantly, what should scare everybody is if the West gets this loaded, where they're 10, 12 deep, that call for it just being the 16 best teams instead of eight East, eight West, that call is only going to get louder. And at some point, that's going to make the rebuild maybe even slightly harder or easier, depending on how you look at it. You know, another interesting thing about the Denver Nuggets with Jamal Murray is the fact that they did give him that humongous contract. And we were still kind of waiting for Jamal Murray to enter the realm of him being worth that kind of contract, right? Because it's it's ridiculous money that he's making. And the Denver Nuggets decided to take a chance on, you know, at the time, their 21-year-old player who had given you a really good postseason last year and certainly showed showcased a lot of ability. He shot almost 46% from the field this season on 15.2 attempts from the field per game. That's good. He did not shoot 35% from three, came close to it, which, you know, certainly would like to see him shoot a little bit higher from beyond the arc. The free throw percentage continues to be great, even if it only is three-point attempts per game for him. But what he's done in the playoffs, if he gets to, like I say, can he go from an 18 and a half this past season to a 25 points per game performance where he's continuing to shoot 45% and gets up to 37 from three, then that's an all-NBA level type of player. And same thing with Donovan that we've seen with his improvements. And you're just hoping, okay, you know what you're seeing it, let's say the hornets have a player i don't know that even comes close to this whatever yeah. conversation you want to put him in and the hornets have to take a chance on that guy they're kind of in that with Devonte, where i'm not saying he's got the kind of talent ability that jamal does i'm not trying to get it crazy twisted mm -hmm. but we, we kind of are in somewhat of a jamal murray light very light decision of you know, the chance that you take on Devante, is it someone that you want to extend him before, I guess you necessarily absolutely have to and expect him to progress quite a bit. And I would be one that does want to take that chance. I think you should extend Devante Graham with that kind of contract extension. And Nada, here's something else like, you know, I, I kind of roll my eyes a lot when we talk mm -hmm. about signing the signing players because of their character. Yeah. You know, I think I think it has a place. I, I think people talk too much about, you know, this guy is the best dude in the league, you know, because everybody wants to win in the NBA. There's a lot of people that that work their ass off and are extremely hard workers. Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray are a little different and I think their character. Yeah. Like Do Donovan, anytime you hear that guy, it just it just seems like somebody that does have a little bit different character where, you know, he I, I love listening to him talk. I love listening to you know 
I, I guess him acknowledging what he needs to work on. I, and, and Jamal Murray, the same. I don't know if you saw, you know, the kind of. Yeah, the speech that he had he and the shoes, like the shoes. Yeah. I, I forgot about the shoes. Like I was watching that game. I completely forgot he had the picture of George Floyd on those shoes. And quite honestly, that that's some of the best ways to rep for a cause. And I know I'm traveling that again. I'm trying to navigate this line right now. That I, said I wasn't going Again, but at the same and technically, you're supposed to helping be helping me on this, Walker, because I said we gonna call out black on this, not <laughs> not just me, we. And here well, you go, you're supposed to be my brother. You're supposed to help me out on these things and make sure I don't stray close to the path because I'm tired of talking about it. But well, here not, I am, and not I'm not going to be one to tell you, hey, we're not going to talk about this. Can you imagine? Like, yes, I. This is also I, true. I will, this I is true. Rep, I will rep being the brother, but I'm also not going to be as comfortable in that role to say yes. You not a black man. Nah, we're not going to talk about this on the podcast. That is not something I'm going to dabble in. I I choose to believe in this ops in this case that I am. You are protecting me from myself. And you're protecting my money. That's all I'm going to say on that. And let's go talk about John Thompson and Michael Jordan in the next segment. How about that? <laughs> That's right. Yes, we're going to continue to toe that line at least from your perspective. But I think my point is Devonte, by all accounts, is also just a really crazy hard worker and a really good dude and somebody that you just don't worry about when they get paid. It's when you, you pay them all this money. It's not anything that you think hard about. If it doesn't work out, then it might be because of the physical physical limitations that Devontae Graham might have, but it's not because of, you know, the work ethic or anything that you might worry about him, you know, trying to, uh, you know, nothing with the locker room, nothing outside. Like Devontae is going to be a dude that you pay and don't worry about. If it doesn't work out, then it might just be because of the physical limitations. But that dude has improved so much. It's already ridiculous how hard he works. And you know what? I'll say the same thing for PJ. I'm not saying we get to that kind of breakout year that Devontae had. I'm not saying PJ has that. But when it's time to pay PJ after his rookie contract is done, that's also a guy that you're just not going to worry about the kind of attitude or character that he has um, when he does get paid all of that money that comes with a second contract. All right, we'll go to one more segment here on the Locked on Hornets podcast and talk a little bit about what Nada had to tease with John Thompson um, passing away and uh, talking about the impact that he had in the basketball world, as well as Michael Jordan, who was the liaison between the players and the owners in their meeting that they had last week. It's coming up next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. You give me a new adjective. God, you're just messing this up. I, I, you know, I just I spend some time away from the show, and you're still the same old Walker. All right, yeah, give me a new adjective and give me a plural well, noun. I, well, I, I've already thought of my plural noun now that you mentioned it. How about, uh, well, I don't even know if this is plural. How about grape jelly? Does that work? Grape oh jelly is the noun God, I was going to get. A plural noun! This isn't hard! It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. All right, Nada, I'll allow you to toe the line as much as you want to. John Thompson, Michael Jordan, where do you want to start? And how much in-depth do you want to go with both of these topics? Um, the floor is yours. I so, Again, John Thompson passed away last night. And for those that basically are of a certain age, you remember John Thompson for being the basically the founder of Hoya Paranoia. And you're finding out because of his death, so, so, so many, how would I put this? There are so many stories that you've heard. The Rayful Edmonds story, which is probably one of my favorites, because it is a, one of those social political, socio-political lines that you, um, 
that that it sports always seems to cross, but we seem to try to ignore of sorts. But a guy like John Thompson telling a drug dealer with, I want to say at least 40 bodies to his name to stay away from his players, include one of them, including Alonzo Mourning. Like, think about how cool that is, Walker, for a second. Yeah. Just think about how cool that is. And the biggest thing that I think is, I think the coolest thing that no one will ever mention, or at least won't mention until the funeral, is how many people he just helped. Again, he got the players that everybody was scared to go get. He, I'm not going to say he was like the dangerous minds, he, like the Michelle fight for dangerous minds. He went into the hood and got players that no one else would get because that's one, a cliche, and two, that's entirely too short of what John Thompson actually did. But he taught a lot of boys to be men. He got a lot of people and made careers out of it. And I think when we start talking about people who, again, guys that taught players to be men, to be socially active, to be socially conscious, I think of John Thompson. Where this, where this goes in, though, and this is the cool part about this, Walker, is we start talking about that. And then you start thinking about Jordan's role in negotiating a, basically a, a ceasefire between the owners and the players and him doing that responsibility of sorts. And when you start talking about, okay, Michael Jordan, polit- not, he's not politically active. He only cares about money, this, that, and the third. He was able to be a conduit to get at least 29 of the 30, 30 uh, arena, NBA arenas to be voting centers. The only one that's not going to be able to be do- to do it, if I'm not mistaken, is going to be Boston. And that's only because they filed it too late. So when we start thinking about a a guy like John Thompson, thinking about the impact of what he's done, start thinking about like the impact he's done with the guys that aren't stars and think about the lessons that he's learned. Because sometimes the the guy, the lessons that he's learned, the lessons that he's taught to people that aren't the stars are the same ones that he taught to the stars. And those are the same burdens that you see carry over and people grow and they become better people at the end of the day. And this is like the evolution and we're seeing Michael Jordan evolve and we're seeing some of the lessons that John Thompson possibly taught Michael Jordan at the same time. Michael Jordan did come out with a statement on Coach Thompson and he did said Coach Thompson was truly a great man and a legend in college basketball. He had such a profound impact on his players and was a father figure to so many of them. I admired him and loved him dearly. My deepest condolences to his family and the Georgetown community. I think you mentioned a couple of stories shared on the behalf of the players. I think most people will at least see a clip of Allen Iverson talking yes. about John Thompson. And that one's awesome as well, where if, if you've seen the 30 for 30 documentary on Allen Iverson, I'm not sure if it's specifically a 30 for 30, but it's on Netflix, I believe. You should go check it out. It's really well done. And they talk about how the AI thing that happened in high school before he went to college was complete bogus. And after him getting recruited by everybody in the country for football and or basketball, uh, nobody wanted him anymore after that incident that took place in high school. And Coach Thompson decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get Allen Iverson. And Allen Iverson talks about his mom being someone that really fought for Allen to be a part of Coach Thompson's team. Um, but, you know, Coach Thompson was a guy that did have Allen Iverson on the team. And then he becomes the number one overall pick. And, and think about you know, in that era in Georgetown where not only did you have basketball players that were coming from that program, but I mean, not we're talking about legendary basketball yes. players. Four Hall think, of Famers. Yeah. I, Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, Allen Iverson, and Patrick Ewing. I mean, 
my God, (laughs) that's insane to have those types of guys come with that kind of skill level, come from just one individual program where he's getting all these number one overall picks and, you know, making them actually pan out in the NBA where they find their role, something they're good at, or just because they're so damn, you know, they're MVP like and, and, uh, and find their niche and find, you know, what they're very good at playing basketball, maybe overall. Yeah, it's something that Coach Thompson did, and uh, it's it's unfortunate to see him pass away, but also just the kind of legacy that he left. You know, but Monty Jones talked about the impact on black coaches in college basketball, and it's unfortunate where we don't see too many black coaches anymore in college basketball. You think of who the best coaches are in the world right now. You don't think of any black coach that's in the current modern state of college basketball. You go yeah. to Calipari, Roy Williams, Coach K, maybe you go Jim Beheim, you know, whatever. But John Thompson was mentioned among the best coaches in college basketball at a time where, <laughs> you know, it's certainly there was a lot few of them. And Bomani Jones even talked about Nolan Richardson being a guy. He won that championship with Arkansas and then is ousted and doesn't get another chance. Yeah, you ever. never see him again. And that's where we have the theme of the benefit of the doubt not being afforded to black coaches. Um, you know, Georgetown hired his son. And of course, it's like, okay, well, there's another black coach in circulation, but it's his damn son. And at his alma mater where Georgetown is like, yeah, you know, we'll embrace another member of the Thompson family. So anyways, it's something that needs to fix itself. It's just another, um, it's just another thing here in the country where black people aren't afforded the benefit of the doubt. Let's talk about Michael Jordan. Go ahead. Nada. I was about to say, thank you for being, for towing that line because I didn't want to talk about it because then I just look like the angry black guy, Walker. I appreciate that. I'll be your angry white guy for you. Thank you. That. Um, so well, let's talk about Michael Jordan a little bit more. You know, you've said it a million times, Nada. You know, I'll give you credit kind of for kind of being out in front of this more so than anyone. And not only just even mentioning the, some of the things that Michael has done, but you've been very adamant about Michael Jordan being more politically active with his actions rather than just saying some of these words that only provide lip service and nothing else, which you might see from other owners with their statements and not doing a whole lot to go above and beyond. Michael Jordan has gone above and beyond. And you've mentioned this quite a bit. This was even before you had had an emphasis on the Black Lives Matter movement in response to George Floyd's death, because we do talk about that clinic that he opened up in a part of town that is poverty stricken that, of course, has a ton of black people in it. And here's Michael trying to help a community that needs help. And, you know, that is a political statement within itself. I remember talking, Nada, with George, uh, or excuse me, with uh, Fred Whitfield. And Mm -hmm. he discussed that he had seen Michael Jordan cry three times in his life up to that point. And he said one of them was the death of his father. Uh, there was one other moment that he said that he had seen him cry that I forget now, but included in one of those three was the time that they opened up that clinic in a part of town that is poverty stricken. And the fact that Michael Jordan was moved to tears only among three times with a lifelong friend like he has in Fred Whitfield, it mm-hmm. goes to show you that it isn't just lip service or Michael doing something for PR purposes. The dude cares, man. And I understand a lot of the criticism that Michael got back in the day. Do I think that Larry Bird, a white player, should have been held to the same standard? Absolutely. But I understand that some of the criticism that Michael Jordan got back in the day. You are right, and you've been right in the fact that he has done things within the last couple of seasons. Um, Again, that wasn't just because George Floyd's death put an emphasis on it. Michael has been about that even before that to where now we're seeing the 
over $100 million donated to charities that benefit black people in America. Now we're seeing him even not just his actions, but he is the conduit between players and owners. And that's a big damn deal. And Adam mm-hmm. Silver knows it. And he understands how valuable that is. You know, Dan Lebitard wrote this big essay on, on David Stern at the time, trying to improve its relationship between a white audience and black players. And Adam Silver, I think, has taken on that baton and understand its importance. And man, you know, how about Michael Jordan being a guy that embraces helping black people in America in a way to try to show it and shove it in the audience, the white audience faces in a way where white people love them. some Michael Jordan back in the day, but they liked him in large and maybe in some part, not in large part. I won't say that, mm-hmm. but they liked him in some part because he wasn't political and he wasn't oh, yeah, going to, and he wasn't going to stray in that area. Well, now he is. And I think we should commend him quite a bit for that, continuing to do that even before the death of George Floyd and even beyond. The one thing I would point out, and this is something that I think people need to note, is that I think Jordan knows that people only love him because he's silent. So what does he what does he do? He does things in silence. Like the Michael, like the clinics are the only thing I can ever think of him doing that was really front facing. Like when we start thinking about that, the clinics, the parks, he wasn't really front facing. He was there because it was Hornet stuff, but he wasn't really front facing on that. Then you start thinking about, and, and it just reminds me, and it reminds me of something that I heard over the weekend, and something that we honestly forget, is that Michael Jordan is from Wilmington, North Carolina. Yeah. Wilmington, North Carolina is on his, it has one of the most brutal race riots when we start talking about race and we start talking about everything. That's where Michael Jordan's from. There is a large, large distrust of white people from, from black folks out there. And I understand why when you consider the history. So, of course, he's always going to move in silence. I'm not saying Michael Jordan is the super political figure. But what I am saying is he's going to do stuff as silently as he can because he doesn't want anybody really paying attention until it's too late. And I think he's being vocal when he needs to, though, right? He does. You're you're right. Like, I I think that's a difference here is that when and and when he needs to is certainly a phrase. I I, maybe it's it's too strong to say when it's very subjective. It's very, very subjective. Right. But it's certainly he's certainly vocal at a time when you want to hear from people that have authority like Michael does. And he stepped up to that. Yeah, I mean, in a way that he isn't poked and prodded to do it. He's done it because he cares. It comes from a place that's uh, very internal rather than it being affected externally. And I think that's huge. I think that's something that is different. And you mentioned him growing up in Wilmington. There is an absolute fantastic piece written by Wright Thompson, who is as mm-hmm. respected as really anybody in the sports writing world. And that story is phenomenal. I don't know if you've had a chance to check it out, Nada. But most oh yeah, no. Yeah, Again, you got to read Wright. You got to read Wright Thompson. <laughs> got to, got to, and he talks about Michael Jordan's upbringing. You know, I, I am kind of fascinated with the storylines that we've had with Michael amidst the pandemic because we did get the last dance because it is someone that we were all reminded of the criticism that surrounded him when he came out with Republicans buy sneakers too. And he didn't want to get into the Harvey Gantt election. And, you know, I understand all of that. Um, it, it, then he, that that that's shown in in a public way, even us being reminded of it in 2020. And you know, I 
I understand that it was a propaganda piece for Michael Jordan. It was. You know, I thought. It, I actually thought it got too much criticism because they addressed a lot of stuff. It, it's they just did. It, you know, Michael. Michael talked about it. Like I wanted to hear Michael Jordan's thoughts on it, and we got it. You know, it, it, they didn't leave that kind of stuff out. It's just people thought it was a Michael Jordan propaganda piece, and I think there certainly was a huge element of that. But you know, they showcased stuff that happened and we got his opinion on it. And that's exactly what I wanted from the last dance. And now what we're seeing is, you know, even more from Michael Jordan in a way that I didn't expect in 2020. Like I didn't realize MJ was going to be this kind of story that he is. And it's been interesting to see all of that kind of unfold with the way that our world has taken uh, the, the, the kind of trajectory or direction that our world has taken. Yeah, it is. It is kind of sad. And again, like you said, it was a propaganda piece. It was needed. And it was the only way that the story was going to get told. So I understand that when it comes to Michael Jordan, I appreciate, and again, if anything, the last dance helps me appreciate the character journey of Michael Jordan more than anything else. And to see the growth. And again, we don't necessarily see all that growth up front, but to see the growth behind the scenes that's still kind of awesome. And I think that's something that we take for granted. We really shouldn't quite honestly, man. I'm, you know, I I know we're going beyond this. I really, Mm -hmm. I really am fascinated because, you know, Jackie Mack is someone that has a relationship with Michael Jordan. You know, she's admitted that it's not like, you know, they're best of friends that text all the time, but Jackie McMullen has mentioned a couple of times where maybe, you know, maybe a health scare, you know, Michael Jordan reached out to her, you know, she has advocated that look, she's not going to paint Michael Jordan as any type of sympathetic figure. And I'm not here to do that either. There's no No. way I'm going to paint him as a sympathetic figure in any way, shape or form. If you're asking me, do I think there is a change in Michael Jordan and his demeanor and or attitude as he's do think there is a change based on what we've seen in the last dance, based on what we see from credible sources and NBA writers that covered him then and now I think that that is a guy that has changed to some degree. I'm not saying a 180 degree turn, but we are seeing a side of Michael where, you know, I used to be scared to death to hear public comments from Michael because it's like, my God, what is he going to say now? You know, the Hall of Fame speech is infamous for, I mean, my God, what left you have to prove, dude? Like, what, what in the world else do you have to prove? It was a bad moment in Michael Jordan's legacy. But you know what? We've heard him speak a couple of times since then. And, you know, one moment I can remember is the Kobe Bryant speech that he had. And he knocked that out of the park. People loved what he had to say about Kobe Bryant when he could have, in a very Michael Jordan way, pounded his chest and say he could never be as good as me. You know, he didn't pay any attention to that. Yeah, you might think Michael can read the room. It's like, dude, it's his funeral. Of course, he's not going to do that. Well, Michael has kind of shown an inability to care about reading the room before. Yes. And so, you know, that was different in a public way. Like, we've seen public in the last couple of years. And, and I just find that kind of difference in him to be extremely fascinating. Not, it I is. Don't know, yeah. For, for it me, is, it is fascinating. It's fascinating. And we have gone on an extensive Jordan discussion that I think we were going to get into, but just the ability to read the room, the ability to show growth. And it's also kind of like a media narrative thing. Like sometimes we, we, again, we in the media and we who consume the media get hung up on a narrative that, ends up being false and ends up being repeated and it becomes a bad game of telephone and we never forgive the guy. And at the same time, 
we don't allow for the growth. We do not allow, we do not have the grace to allow people to grow from their mistakes. And I think that's one of the things that Michael Jordan, I think, understood better than most. And unfortunately, I think that's one of those things that we're just going to have to learn is to show grace and to allow for grace. And then once we do that, then we can ask ourselves, then we can start showing in our, our, our regular everyday lives. And I think, and again, it's a grow again, it, what Michael Jordan said to, to sum it up really is just, if we show grace, I think we allow for growth and we do not show nearly enough grace. All right. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Hornets. I apologize. I wanted to have the Michael Jordan discussion. And so we did. Was that okay? Not a like, could we, was that an angle that you were comfortable taking? Yeah, let's go. Like yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it ended up going in and out of the topics that we really said we weren't going to talk about no more, but we'll probably lie about it again and do it again sometime <laughs> soon. Uh, thanks again to Bill Barr, by the way, for supporting the show. Thanks as always to you guys for tuning in and listening to Locked On Hornets. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of any show on the Locked On Podcast Network. Maybe try Locked On NBA today and rejecting the screen tomorrow or hell, listen to both of them in the same day. Who knows? Just tell your smart device to listen to any show on the Locked On Podcast Network. Have a great day. We'll be back with you tomorrow to talk about the mock draft that we had. The Hornets picking third. We tell you why we chose Gillian Hayes. <laughs>